Uh, today I want to I begin in Luke chapter 10 and verse 2. And Jesus said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest. One gospel says pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest. Now, now notice it's his harvest. And he's looking for laborers. Now, so often we pray and we say, God, do this. God, do that. God, do something else. How many would like to be the answer to a prayer? Instead of just being the one that's praying. And to be an answer to this prayer that Jesus told us to pray earnestly, we need to get involved in the harvest. There's a story in the Gospel of Mark about Jesus at a certain religious person's home. And a woman comes in as they're sitting at a table and, and she has a box of very, very expensive perfume. In fact, the Bible puts the value of this at a year's wage. So you can put a number on it, a year's wages. And she takes that and she breaks it and she begins to pour it on Jesus. And some of the people, well, you know, why this waste? It could have been used for so many different things. But Jesus says she has done what she could and she has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. And he says, wherever the gospels preach, it will be remembered what she has done. But notice what Jesus says: she has done what she could. Didn't do what she couldn't, but she did what she could do. And, and I guess my question to you today is, are you doing what you can do? Are you using your life simply for yourself, selfishly? Or are you seeking first the kingdom of God? Are you letting God use your time, your energy, your talent, and your resources? What can you do? Uh, so often we think, well, what I can do is so insignificant. It's such a small thing. You know, the Bible tells us if we're faithful with little, we'll be faithful with much. But if we're not faithful with little, we would not be faithful with much. And so often people think, well, if I could do that, then I would. Or if I could give that, then I would. You, you, you heard about the man, he, he won $10,000 in, a, in, a, in a, some sort of a lottery. And they said, well, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? You know, his heart's not good. And the pastor said, well, I'll go and I'll, I'll break the news to him. And, and so he, he said, to, said to him, he said, you know, he said, uh, if, if you had a million dollars, he said, what would you do? And the man said, oh, if I had a million dollars, I'd give half to the church. And the pastor said, oh, great, great. And he said, well, what would you do if you had $100,000? He says, well, he said, if I had $100,000, he said, well, I'd give half to the church. And the pastor said, well, you know, you've just won $10,000. The man goes, really? That's awesome. And then the pastor said, are you going to give half of the church? He says, no, pastor, I don't, I can't, really can't afford to do that. But what he was going to do with what he didn't have is very different than what we'll do with what we do have. And the truth is, we think we'll do a lot if we had the talent or we had the resources or we had the time. But the truth is, what, that same portion that you would do with much is what you will do with little. And if you won't do it with the little, Jesus said, you won't do it with the much. 
And, and by the way, around here, we do not care if you walk to church, ride a bicycle, a moped, or come in a Mercedes, whether you're red, yellow, black, white, or polka dotted, young or old, all right? We will do anything and everything that we can to build the kingdom of God, to win the loss except sin. Anything except sin. You know, when you use what God has given you, he gives you more. In 2 Corinthians 8, 12, it says, For if there's first a willing mind, it's accepted according to what one has and not according to what one does not have. And I know when you read that verse, it's kind of like, I don't get it. What does that mean? It's accepted according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. But here's what we tend to do. Instead of giving of our time, our energy, and our resources based on the way God has blessed us, what we tend to do is penalize God on what we don't have. We look and say, yeah, I know you, you blessed me abundantly, and I know this, and I know that, but I want this, and I want that, and I don't have this, and I don't have that, and so I'm not going to do it. Right? But what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to respond with an act of worship not based on what we don't have. How many of you realize that there is always more you can get? I don't know about you, but my wife can walk through the mall and her beady little eyes could spend the whole paycheck every week. <laughs> How many of you know there's always stuff? There is always something. There is always something. But we're supposed to look at what we have, not at what we do not have. And respond in that way. And again, Jesus said, if you're faithful with little, you'll be faithful with much. But if you're not faithful with little, you will not be faithful with much. We need to just start where we are in whatever capacity that is. Um, I, I just talked to Jeannie this morning to make sure I, I had the details about this all right. But uh, we had just gotten married. We're living in Dallas, going to Bible school. And Jeannie got a job cleaning houses for rich people on the other side of town. So we would go one or two days a week over to this place and, and uh, somehow the people that own this house asked if I would do a Bible study for their junior high son. So I think he's like 12 years old, maybe 11 years old. So, so I'm sitting literally on the floor on one side of a coffee table. He's sitting on the floor on the other side of the coffee table. And I give him like a, my, my, my first Bible lesson ever. The next week, he invited his friend. So I had 100% church growth. <laughs> I mean, we went from one to two. Okay, it was big time, big time. And then the third week, the friend brought his mother to make sure we weren't a cult. 50% church growth. But that's where we started. And, and, and can I say, I never thought I'd do this. You know, we graduate from Bible school and, and uh, we go to Mexico to help a missionary. And the, the thing that I knew that I would never do was public speaking. I knew that because I, uh, you guys are scary. You're very scary. All right. And I, did, I was just petrified of the thought of getting in front of people, just the thought. 
So we go down and, and I'm cutting the grass, opening the door, cleaning the bathroom, sweeping, setting up the chairs. I'm doing everything that I, that, that I, I, I figure I can do this. And we're there maybe six weeks when this, these folks that were helping decide to leave. And literally he threw me the keys. And I said, well, you know, what's going to happen? And he said, well, he said, uh, you can have it. And I said, I don't want it. And he threw me the keys and said, you can have it or the devil can have it. And I caught the keys. So I remember, you know, like two days later, I got to speak. And, and I just thank God for interpreters. Because that way you say something and they say something and it takes them twice as long and you can figure out what you're going to say next. <laughs> but, but, but honestly, that's how I ended up here. It was not a plan. In fact, my plan was not to be here. But, you know, when you just use what you've got and start doing something, God will get you where you need to be. Now, the Apostle Paul was named Saul. He's on his way to Antioch to persecute the church. And Jesus meets him on the way in a bright light, knocks him off his donkey and speaks to him. And this is what Paul said. He said, Lord, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to, to do? And that should be what's in all of our hearts. Now, I'm going to say this. Listen, you are not saved by doing good works. But you are saved to do good works. It doesn't save you, but once you get saved, that's what God wants you to do. And you can, it's amazing to me how many people think that salvation is just about being forgiven and going to heaven. It's not. Yeah, that's where you're going. But, but what God, God has something for you to do now. Otherwise, we'd baptize you and just leave you under. We just send you home. That way you can't mess up. No, uh, a while back, I, I was helping a pastor. And, and, and he just was really, really down. And what the story was, they lost their building. And when they lost their building, all he was doing was thinking about what they were losing. And until we got them a picture of where they were going and they found a new building and realized what they could do, once, once they got the picture of where they were going instead of where they were leaving, it was like instantly the joy of the Lord purpose came back, destiny came back, energy came back. Everything changed when they knew where they were going. And unfortunately, with most Christians, they just know where they're going from. Yeah, I've been saved from my sin. But they don't realize that they've been saved to good works. That God has a plan and a purpose for you. Ephesians 2.10 for we are God's own handiwork, his workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, that we may do those good works which God planned beforehand for us, taking paths he prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them. Notice this last part, living the good life that he prearranged and made ready for us to live. You know, I don't know how many people think if I ever serve God, it's going to be boring. But the exact opposite is the truth. Jesus said, if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. He said, but if you keep that life, he said, you'll lose it. 
you'll lose it. It's when you get involved in the kingdom. The kingdom is righteousness, it's peace, and it is joy. The Bible says it is joy in the Holy Ghost. And there is nothing that brings more joy than when we get involved in what God wants us to be involved in, when we fulfill our purpose. Now, I've said this before. Let's say this again. Anything that you don't know is purpose, you misuse. You see, your per- God has a purpose for you. You have been created for good works, to take the paths that he's prepared ahead of time for you. And the Bible says he's prepared good works for you to do. But if you don't know your purpose, if you don't know that, you will find something else. You'll find a sport. You'll find a hobby. You'll find a career. You, 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 you will find something. When you don't know the purpose, you misuse it. One of my grandkids, they got the iPhone and they thought that they were supposed to swim in the toilet. Serious. They didn't know the purpose, and so they misused the iPhone. And when you don't know your purpose, you will find something. You'll find a career. You'll find a hobby. You'll find something, and you will focus your time, your energy, your resources, and your talent in that direction. But I'm telling you that there is a purpose that you have been recreated in Christ for good works, to do those things he prepared ahead of time, to take the paths that he has prepared for you. Paul said it's the love of Christ that compels us. When, when we understand God's love for us, you know, when, you, when, when that love, it says it's shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit in the book of Romans. But when that heart is there, when, when, when that love is there, You're going to give your time, your energy, your talent, and your resources. It's what you do. For God so loved that he gave. And you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. When God sent Moses to deliver the children of Israel, this is what he said. He said, the Lord God says, let my people go that they may serve me. Let my people go that they may serve me. You know, God's got us out of the world, but he wants us to be serving him. And it's interesting to me that God, it didn't take very long to get the Israelites out of Egypt, but it took a long time to get Egypt out of the Israelites. See, what we need to know is that God has a purpose. He wants us to be serving him. You know, when Moses was just a young child, he was born to a Jewish family. And there was such anti-Semitism in Egypt that the Pharaoh said, every male child, you take him and you throw him in the river, Nile. He'll be eaten by crocodiles or they'll drown. But every male, you need to take him and you need to throw him in the river. When Moses is born, his parents, the Bible says by faith, they, they did not heed that command. But it came a time when it became obvious there was a child in the house. And I, I think Mama Moses She had done some praying and she came up with a plan and they make a little like boat out of bulrushes and they put Moses in it and they bring him down to the Nile, but they bring him right where the queen, excuse me, the, the Pharaoh, the king's daughter would go down and do her laps. And so she gets down there and she hears a little cry and they bring that little baby over to her. And uh, Mama Moses, she was smart. 
she had her older daughter hiding nearby. And when the, the, the princess looks and Moses kind of cries a little bit, she runs up and says, would you like me to get a Hebrew woman to take care of that baby for you? And she said, oh, yeah, please do. And I'll pay her her wages. Oh, I love it. Mama gets paid for taking care of that baby. <laughs> and just like the Lord, have the devil pay for the deliverer. He grows up and it says, by faith, when Moses became of age, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he looked to his reward. Now, listen, you never make the right decisions without thinking about eternity. You never make the right decisions without thinking about eternity. If all that you do is think about this life and you make all your decisions based on this life, you'll make the wrong decision. Now, all through the Bible, there's, there's really there's two predominant themes of sonship and servanthood, of life and service. You know, when, when God has our heart, then he'll have your service. We're saved from sin, but we're saved to good works. Now, in Matthew chapter 5, I think Jesus really, really teaches this so very, very well. It says, one of the lawyers of the law asked him a question saying, teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. A second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So here's what Jesus is saying. He says, you can't claim to love God and to be pleasing God without loving your neighbor. You love God by loving your neighbor as yourself. So then Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Because the man says, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus said, well, there was a certain man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among thieves and they beat him up. They stripped him. They left him half dead. And he said, and by chance, along comes a Levite and he sees him and he passes by on the other side. And then along comes a priest and he sees him and he passes by on the other side. Now, they were on their way to Jerusalem. They're going to do spiritual things. They're going to church. They're going to go make, make a sacrifice. They're doing something spiritual. But then Jesus said, and along comes a Samaritan. And there was a, a tremendous amount of ethnic uh, hatred between the Jews and the Samaritans. And when he saw him, Jesus said he had compassion. And he got down and he bandaged his wounds and he poured oil and wine on him and put him on his own donkey and took him to the hotel, and took care of him and got up in the morning and put down two days wages and said, take care of him. And if you spend any more than that, when I come back, I'll repay you. And Jesus said, which of those three was a neighbor to that person? And of course, the answer was the one who had compassion on him. So what Jesus was telling them was this. The way that you love God is by loving people. 
That's how you love God. In fact, listen to this. He says, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So, so you're about to come to church and you're going to give your heart for the kingdom offering. And you remember that there's problems, there's strife between you and somebody else. Jesus says, get up out of your pew and go see that person and apologize and tell them you're sorry and you forgive them whatever you need to do and then come back. What's he saying? He's saying the way that you love God is by loving people, loving people. You see, <laughs> you can't claim that you're doing the first part of loving God if you're not doing the second part in loving people. You've got to be serving people or you're missing it. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Love God, love people. Do what that good Samaritan did. Uh, recently, I, I reread a little book, a couple hundred year old book called Common Sense, written by Thomas Paine during the Revolutionary War. Uh, this book so impressed George Washington that at Valley Forge, he had copies for those who could read. And then he had public reading of the book. And, and when I read it, I thought, man, we could just change a few words. And that's a picture for the church. Thomas Paine wrote, these are the times that try men's souls. The summer soldier, the sunshine patriot will in this crisis shrink the service of their country. And I would say shrink the service of their kingdom. But he that stands it now deserves the thanks of men and women. And he who stands now and puts the kingdom first. Jesus said it this way in Revelation 22. He said, behold, I come quickly and my reward is in my hand. It's in Philippians 2 in verse 13 where it says God himself is at work in you, inspiring you to want those things that please him and to work for them. Which, which in Philippians it says to work out your salvation. In other words, God puts something on the inside, but it can't just stay on the inside. No secret agent Christians. It's got it, what's on the inside. You need to work it outside. It's not just something between you and God. As you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you're going to be serving others. Now, as that kingdom gets in you, it changes you. It changes your priorities. It changes the way that you think. You know, I heard about a converted cannibal on an island in the South Sea. He was sitting by a large pot reading his Bible when an anthropologist wearing a pith helmet approached him and asked, what are you doing? The native replied, I'm reading the Bible. The anthropologist scoffed and said, don't you know that modern civilized man has rejected that book? It's nothing but a pack of lies. You shouldn't waste your time reading it. The cannibal looked him up and down and slowly replied, sir, if it weren't for this book, you would be in the pot. You'd be in the pot. The word of God changed his appetite. It changed what he did. And the same thing should be true of us. You know, Jesus said, behold, I come quickly. He said, my reward is with me. And some of us were just like, well, you know, when I get older, 
when I have more energy, when I get married, you know, when the kids start school, when the kids get out of school, uh, you know, when my life slows down. How many know that ain't happening? When all the bills are paid, that ain't happening. When I retire, well, then I'm going to serve God. But faith is about benefiting others for the kingdom. Faith is about benefiting people you don't even know. Faith is about Jesus' glory. It's about making him glorious to others. Faith is a word or an act that promotes the kingdom. Paul said, I make up what's lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Colossians 1.24. He makes up what's lacking. But the Bible says Jesus paid it all. But what is lacking is the cost to take the love of God, the gospel to others. That's what's lacking. It's not that Jesus didn't pay it all, but it needs to be demonstrated. It needs to, people need to be able to see it. And here's the truth. I don't know how soon, but soon you're going to be in heaven. You will never see a lost person again. You will have all of eternity to celebrate your victories. But you've only got one lifetime to do something for the kingdom of God. Just one. Just one. When you get to heaven, you can rejoice. You're going to be in his presence. But what are, what are you going to bring with you? What are you going to bring with you? That's what we decide now. Now, let me just close with, with two short stories. First one happened in 1934 in Charlotte, North Carolina. Dr. Mordecai Ham was having an rev old-fashioned revival service, tent. As they're about to begin that service, two young men show up in the back kind of joking around. They, 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 they did not come because it was a revival service. They came for girls. Nobody's ever come for church for that reason, but that's, that's what they did. <laughs> two, young, two young boys. And they looked around and didn't see any seats. And they turned and started to leave. An usher went over and literally put his arm around them and said, guys, I'm so glad that you are here. He says, this is going to be great. I'm going to find you a seat. And he took those two young boys, found them a spot. At the end of the, the revival service, Dr. Mordecai Ham gives an invitation. First one hand went up, then the other one of those hands went up. Those two young men went forward. One of them was Billy Graham. The other one ministered with Billy Graham for 50 years. And all because one man just saw two people, didn't have a seat, and with compassion went over, put his arm around them, said, I'm glad you're here, and let me help you. Let me help you. How many millions of people's lives were touched because of just that one little act? Dwight L. Moody was uh, without doubt the greatest evangelist in Christendom in the 19th century. When he was 18 years old, he was a boot salesman at his uncle's store in Boston. He had started to go occasionally to a church in his Sunday school teacher, Mr. Kimball, just felt drawn to, to Moody and said, I just got to win this kid to the Lord. And uh, in his own words, he said, I decided I needed to speak to him about his soul. And I started down 
to the store. And when I was nearly there, I began to wonder whether I ought to bother him during the business hours. I thought it might cause embarrassment to Moody. And the other clerks, when I leave, might mock him and ask him questions. In the meantime, as he's, this is all going over in his mind, I don't think I should. I, want, I may, don't know, should I or should I not? He literally, he walks past the store and misses it. When he realizes what has happened, he said he turned around and, and gets to the store. He finds Moody in the back. He's wrapping some shoes. And he said he put his hand on his shoulder. He said, and I, I'm, afterwards, he said, I, I made a very weak plea for Christ. He said, I don't even know what words I used. And Moody couldn't tell you later what was said. But he simply told of Christ's love and of that Christ wanted to be in his life. And it was there. The young man was ready. And he said it was like a light broke through on him. He prayed with him and he received Christ. And again, here is a Sunday school teacher who feels like he's doing a bad job who feels like, man, should I even do this? But when he did, it changed the life of millions of people. You never know what you, the little thing that you do, the difference it can make for all of eternity. And what if it is just one person? Jesus said, what would it profit you if you gained the world, but you lost your soul? In other words, one soul is worth more than this entire world. This world as we know it, it is going to pass away. But every person is going to live someplace forever. And we need to have eternal perspectives and eternal priorities. Like Moses, when he looked at his life, there was so much that the world had to offer. But he looked, well, the Bible says that what he did was he looked to his reward. He had an eternal perspective. He said, right now, there's all of this, but someday I'm going to stand before God and I want to do the right thing for all of eternity. Would you bow your heads for just a moment, please? Jesus said, the thief, the devil, he comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly why anyone would serve the devil even one day I do not know he wants to kill to steal and to destroy and nobody moving unless it's absolutely necessary but if you're here and you're not right with God maybe you've drifted away and you want to return with all your heart maybe you've never known him but you want to be saved you want to be forgiven you want God to come and rescue you from what you've done and where you are. So if your, your heart cry is, I want a new life. I want to be forgiven. I want to live for God. I want to be a part of the kingdom of God. I want to fulfill my purpose. And I want the abundant life that Jesus came for me to have. It's that's you. I want you to get ready to lift your hand in just a moment when I say three. I'm going to count to three. We're going to pray together. And when we pray, God's going to meet you right in this place. He wants you to get ready to lift your hand. And as you're lifting your hand, the first thing that you're saying to God is this. You're saying, I know that I've sinned and I know I need a Savior. And I'm coming to Jesus today to be saved and to be forgiven. It's one. 
as you lift your hand, you're saying to God, today I'm going to give Jesus all of my heart and all of my life, and I'm holding nothing back. Two, now get ready. As you lift your hand, you're saying today Jesus is going to come into my heart. He's going to forgive me, make me a new person on the inside. I'm going to be a part of your kingdom today and forever. Three, just lift that hand up. Pray with me. I'm not right. Thank you. I see that hand, that hand, that hand, that hand, and that hand, and that hand. Another hand back here, a hand here, hand there. In the balcony. Pray with me, Pastor. I'm not right. I'm not right. Thank you. God bless you. Right there in the back. Another hand over here. Thank you. All right. Would everyone please stand? Nobody moving unless it's absolutely necessary. Now, if you lifted your hand, please look right at me, wherever you are. Would you please move to the aisle and make your way right down here? God's going to meet us right here. And we're going to pray. And in a moment, we're going to say amen. And when we do, you're going to be forgiven. I want you to bring the person you came with. Bring your coat. Bring your purse. Bring whatever you need. But make your way right down here. Man, already beginning to come. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. Make your way. Make your way. Jesus said, confess me before men. I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. All right. Literally, this is the most important decision you could ever make with your life. Awesome. Jesus said when one repents, just one, that the angels in heaven, they're rejoicing. Awesome. 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 This is your day. This is it. Come on, right over here. Romans chapter 10 and verse 13 says, whosoever, that means you, every one of you, this is going to work. You're that whosoever, right? Will call on the name of the Lord. Now we're going to call on his name the way the Bible shows us to, right? And this is God's promise to you. Will be saved. When we say amen, you're forgiven. You're right with God. You're a part of his family. Right. So when everyone take one hand, place it over your heart. Lift your other hand towards heaven and let's pray together. Say, oh, God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe he rose again. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. And I thank you. You've heard my prayer that I'm forgiven, that I'm a part of your family today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.